welcome back to another College Hoops Mania podcast. I'm your host, Wes Troyer, and I'm thrilled to be back today with another episode for you guys. Just a reminder, you are currently listening to Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. Before I get into this week's content, I need to go over a few things first. First of all, it is very helpful to the show if you'd subscribe or follow, depending on what you listen to this on, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, to my podcast. A rating or review, if you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, is also very helpful to me. On additional note, if you are on Twitter or Instagram, you can follow me at chmpod on those two platforms. I tweet some throughout the week about college basketball, etc., news, whatever it may be, as well as post on Instagram final scores and my takeaways on those games. So if you're on Instagram, I strongly suggest that you follow me on there as my account is growing and it's good. It's a good account to follow if you miss a game. I will hopefully and likely have some takeaways and some analysis from the game that you missed. I am also on Patreon, where you can find me by looking up my name, Wes Troyer, or looking up my podcast, College Hoops Mania. On Patreon, you can donate to my podcast as much or as little as you want, whatever, whatever it may be, whatever works for you. Any donation is greatly appreciated and will be used to better the podcast. So without further ado, let's get let's get right into this today. First thing on the podcast today will be an interview that I was able to have this week. So I was able to sit down with the owner of the Instagram account My Take Hoops, who also has a podcast called My Take Hoops, and the same name for his YouTube channel. And he uh, has eighteen thousand followers on Instagram. He started his account a little over a year ago, and he's one of the fastest growing accounts on Instagram. If you guys don't follow him, and if you're on Instagram, I highly suggest that you follow him at My Take Hoops, as he provides great content on on Instagram. So, without further ado, here's my interview with My Take Hoops. Today, I'm excited to have a very special guest, My Take Hoops, who is the owner of one of the fastest growing Instagram accounts on Instagram. My Take Hoops, how are you doing today? Great. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate you uh, having me here. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so I'm a college kid too, and I know you are also, so I can relate to you in that aspect. So how has it been like balancing your Instagram account basketball with college and you know all the schoolwork that you're having right now? So honestly, pretty hard. Like, I'm not even going to lie. Like, it's a lot of nights up till 2 or 3 a.m. And then waking up at like uh, like 9, 9.30. Um, but it, it's something that I enjoy. And I'm sure, I'm sure you can say the same thing. Like, no matter what size uh, social media following you have, if, you, if it's something you enjoy, uh, it doesn't really feel like work. And then, like, I, I like, personally, I just like the grind of it. And I, like I said, I'm sure you can say the same thing too. I mean, I've seen some of the stuff that you put out. It's, it's really quality work. And, uh, but yeah. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely is a grind. And I can, I know what you mean in terms of like, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's enjoyable at the same time. So it doesn't feel like work. So, so yeah. So my first question today is what was it that made you like want to start this, start, uh, an Instagram page, analyzing basketball, analyzing basketball players, stuff like that? Uh, well, honestly, it was I, I would sit down with my family and I would watch any type of game, uh, uh, mostly college or high school. And uh, I would say things during the game. And then like five seconds later, the commentators would say like almost the exact same thing word for word. And this would happen like five to seven times a game. And my parents were like, 
you got to like start a blog or something. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And then eventually it just got to the point where I was like, all right, I know what I, I can talk about certain things. Like I'm not great at it yet, but uh, I, I, I can do this. And so I just started the Instagram page last to January. So we're, we were just over a year and uh, yeah. And I noticed just a lot of like comment sections are super bland and like watered down. It's just all hype. And I, I was like, I'm going to bring a realistic view onto what these prospects are about. And so that's how it started. And it's going great so far. Yeah, that's a good point because like any Instagram page can, you know, report a score and just like make an edit of a score and just like show people what the final score was, but not mm-hmm. many accounts are like breaking it down, telling people what happened. And so that's kind of what you do. And that obviously has helped you grow so fast. Mm-hmm. So would you say mainly on your Instagram account, you're kind of like analyzing players, evaluating players for the most part? Yeah, for the most part. I'm trying to like kind of squash that narrative a little bit by doing more game analysis and then like uh, like incorporating like my podcast and YouTube into my Instagram because I, I started out as just doing player analyses and then I just kind of like, I kind of got known for that and like, which is fine. Like I, I it was all on me. Like I, that's, that's kind of, I brought it on myself, but it's something I'm trying to squash to show that I can do different things and just analyze a player. And that's something I, I believe I can do. And I'm trying to do that with the game analysis, but also just to bring in different aspects, just to commentate. I think more, more so I'm a commentator, le- more, less than a scout. And, uh, but I, I, like I said, it's not, I'm not gonna say like, I'm not gonna be mad if you just call me a scout because that's pretty much all I've done on my page. Well, no, I have noticed you like you've been doing some college games lately, kind of like reporting on some like you did. I, you did Carolina and Florida State yesterday, you mm-hmm. did Kansas and Baylor. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those two games. So, yeah, you I've noticed that you've been doing that. Do you have any end goals with what you're doing here? Is it kind of like you're just going along with it, seeing what happens, see what maybe could be like brought up to you along the road or or what's yeah. what exactly you think? Yeah, uh, I've had a few people ask me that. And to be honest, I really don't know because I'm still uh, I'm still so young um, and the page is still so young. I would I would think maybe by year three or four, maybe have an end goal. But right now I'm just going to continue to ride the wave. I mean, I, I've been blessed with the amount of growth I've seen. And uh, it's just been it's like it's it's been unbelievable, to be honest, because I, I was I remember sitting in my senior year classes with like 400, 500 followers and just being like, wow, like 400, 500 people are following me. That's crazy. And then boom, all of a sudden it really just started picking up. And like, to be like, it's just, it's just unbelievable how, like how much this has like given me a direction in my life. Like, I don't know where I want, where I want to end, but it, I know for a fact, this is something that I want to do. And so I'm just going to continue pursuing it and good things will happen. I'm, I'm, I'm going to trust that. That's, that's kind of funny you say that. I really started doing this like I started in December, but I really like started my Instagram and like posting stuff and like actually putting a lot of time into it, maybe like early to middle of January of this year. And you're seeing good growth. And Yeah. So, I mean, I know what you mean. Like I get really excited when oh, I'm yeah. like 600 followers, but it's obviously I want to keep growing and keep, you know. Oh yeah. It's, it's definitely like a high. I talked to, talked to somebody else and it's like, it's like, it's like a game. Like, you know, like it's, it's, yeah, you enjoy putting work into, but it's also like a game to see how how much you can grow. But you just got to be able to balance like keeping quality content and then also trying to grow. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. 
Do you prefer, like, in terms of covering players or covering games, do you prefer, like, high school versus college? Because you pretty much cover those two. Yeah. Right? You kind of stay away from the NBA. Yeah. To be, like, for me, the NBA is not as enjoyable to watch, which sounds weird because, like, I'm evaluating these prospects that are going to be in the NBA. But the NBA, with just how saturated the games are, there's so many games every night. It's just if I were to cover that, I would feel like I would only be able to cover the NBA and not have time for high school and college. Because if I'm going to cover something, I want to be, be able to cover it all in, right? So I don't want to be able to just cover one NBA game. And then I would have no idea. I would have no idea what conclusion to make because I don't know how the rest of the season's going. So typically, I just kind of stay away uh, from the NBA just because th- there's just so much going on. But I love college. I love high school. And, and honestly, I like those better just because I feel like the game is is like these kids are still learning the game. So it's fun to watch them pick up on things or it's, it's, it's interesting to watch what they're not so good at and then watch them get better at. Like, that's fun for me. Um, NBA. I mean, yeah, you've got guys that have got weaknesses, but all those guys are just top notch. So it's, it's hard to kind of, I wouldn't say hard, but it's, it's not as fun to kind of pick them apart because they're, they're literally paid millions of dollars just to do this. So they're going to be great players regardless, but I like the college and, and high school game just because there's so much, there's so much going on in terms of like learning the game and, and development. And like, I don't know. I like talking to these guys early, like seeing what these guys are doing early. Um, because, because one day they will be in the NBA and that's, that's cool for me to say like, Oh, I interacted with them. Oh, I scouted them. Oh, they appreciated my work. Uh, and then they're in the NBA today. So yeah, I just, I kind of like the younger guys a little bit better. And I think the college game is just more fun to watch. I know that might not be a popular opinion but I, th- I think with the way that college basketball works where it's like any given night anybody can lose that's that's the entertainment aspect is also there yeah I I have super similar opinions to, the, to you I've always kind of lo- not watched the NBA as much I've always been into college basketball in particular and obviously that's that's what I've been pretty much like mm-hmm. focusing on but I agree with you like like the NBA guys if you're gonna like try to break down their games it just kind of feels weird in a sense because yeah you're like you said, it's their job. Like it's kind yeah, of yeah, they're at the top already. So yeah, I mean. exactly. Okay, so I'm going to start talking a little bit about college basketball in particular here. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I want to hear your opinion on is who do you think between like Gonzaga, Michigan, you can still say Baylor, even though they lost last night. Who do you who do you feel like is the best team in the country? Personally, I, I want to stick with Gonzaga, and I know people like to say, oh, they don't play anybody, and, and that's, that's fine, like, that, but I don't, that's not their fault. They can't really control that. that you look at their non-conference schedule, and they, they stack that as, as much as they can. They have some quality wins. Granted, they were earlier in the year, and so the early games don't really mean as much as they do now, but I, when you look at that team, there's at least four guys on that team that could be in the running for national player or not national player of the year, but like a high award. So, and and then you look at their chemistry too. You watch the games. Like a lot of people just look at the score and see like, Oh, they blew out Pepperdine. Like, yeah, obviously. But if you watch the games, the chemistry they have, the balance they have, they've got somebody that can do everything. Like a guy like Joel, he's not even like, he's not even talked about, but he's going to be an NBA player. Um, I just think that their talent, I mean, if you want to say Michigan, I'm not going to disagree with you because they are playing at an insane rate. And honestly, if you say Baylor, I wouldn't disagree with you because people are going to going to say like, oh, Baylor lost. They're at. like, not nah. like one loss really does not mean much to me. And I honestly, I think this will make Baylor better to, um, because it probably will wake them up. They were in a slump from their COVID break and 
this loss will wake them up for sure. I, I expect to see them back and and being a top top three team uh, just within the next game. Yeah, you make a good point about Gonzaga and like Julie. I like they have like the position awards, like the top five finalists were mm-hmm. coming out this past week, and they have four of their starters are in the top five finalists for their individual position, which is which is crazy. Like a yeah, yeah, oh yeah, he goes under the radar because he's playing behind obviously Timmy Kispert and Suggs, but he's still one of the best at his position in the whole exactly. country. Exactly. And like you said about the schedule, like they can't control it. And to give Gonzaga credit, they schedule a hard non-conference every exactly. single year. Mm-hmm. I, it was, I'm trying to think who they all played. They, I, they played Iowa. They played Virginia. They played Kansas, West Virginia. I yeah, think West Virginia. That was who West Virginia. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, I think they were, I mean, they were scheduled to play Baylor and yeah, like, you're right. it got canceled because of COVID. Like that's, you, you shouldn't hold that against them in my opinion. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, their strength of schedule isn't as strong as someone like Michigan who's in the big 10, but like, it's not their fault. Right. So okay. we can't really, can't really hold it against them in my opinion. Yeah. That's my, that's my opinion on it as well. So those are like the clear three, one seeds right now. Mm-hmm. Everybody can agree on that. Do you have, do you have a strong opinion on who you think should be the fourth one seed right now? No, I, I, I can see Ohio state. Um, I can see maybe in Alabama, uh, I don't know the rankings exactly, but um, there are there are like five teams in the hunt, correct, for that number one spot. Yeah, I'd say like like Illinois, Ohio State. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like I I wouldn't I wouldn't be mad about either one of those teams, but it's very clear that that none of them are on the level of Michigan, Gonzaga, or Baylor. So I don't really think it's going to matter who gets it. Um, honestly, it probably it probably like other teams probably want that want to have that side of the bracket where their number one seed is not not one of those three, obviously, because that gives them a significantly easier path. I'm not super sold on Ohio state. They've had some inconsistencies. I mean, I watched the game in December, like it's December and they, they weren't, uh, they weren't very cohesive, but they're playing very well now. And I think the loss to Michigan doesn't really mean much like these late, these late game law or these late season losses against ranked teams. I really don't think mean as much, but I wouldn't be mad about Ohio State. I think it'd be pretty cool uh, to see Ohio State back as a number one seed. Like that's been it's been a while. I don't even know if it's happened, but uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be mad about Ohio State. Yeah, I, I don't have a strong opinion on that either. It's because it's just it's there's such a big gap, right? And it, it's really hard to say like this one team deserves it for sure right now. I think Ohio State their probably biggest issue is they're kind of undersized to be honest. Right. Like, yeah. And that you saw that against Michigan, they mm-hmm. had nobody that can handle a uh, hundred Dickinson. And that yeah. is my main concern for Ohio state. Like EJ, EJ Lydell. He's great. He's like a little, a little mini Draymond, but they don't have somebody that can go in the post and wall up against a Dickinson or um, a Garza or someone that is going to be dominant in the paint. And like not saying that it's going to inhibit them from winning, but that is going to be a major place that teams exploit. Right. It, you mentioned Hunter Dickinson. Like, he might be the biggest, single biggest surprise of any freshman this year. Like, I mean, he was, he was, he was highly recruited and then he kind of was slowly dropping in the rankings a little bit. I think he ended mm-hmm. up, he ended up being outside of uh, the five star range, I'm pretty sure. And probably like what maybe has been the biggest surprise or like what he's impressed people the most with is how he's defended some of the best big guys in the country. What is your evaluation on Hunter Dickinson thus far? Well, obviously seven, 
seven two, I believe. He's not got the long, he doesn't have the longest strides, but his just his power in the post is unbelievable. His drop step to his from his to his right shoulder, giving it to his left hand is really really impressive. And if he's hitting that, Michigan Michigan will win the game because he opens up so much for Michigan. Because if you get if you throw the ball to him in the post and he's hitting, that forces the team to double team and, and he can kick out easily. He sees over the defense, he can kick out and for an open three because Michigan can shoot. But he he's a very, very good college prospect. I'm not really sure how well he's going to transfer over to the NBA because the NBA is a completely different game than college game. But in terms of college basketball, he is up there with the best bigs in the country. He's been super surprising. I don't think anyone predicted him to be this successful, but his just his sheer size. And one thing, one little nuance about him, when he goes to set a pick, he either, he either, sorry, he either is going to like, like be a stone wall and you're not going to get through him or, he has deceivingly quick speed to, to uh, slip the screen and he's already at the rim and he has dunk. So he's, he's more versatile than he leads on, but I don't know how well he's going to transfer to the NBA. Yeah. yeah that's fair. Just cause obviously it's the NBA's became a positionless basketball game. You got to mm-hmm. be able to have skills, you know, from pretty much anywhere on the floor, be able to play from the perimeter. Dickinson obviously cannot do that. Um, Another freshman I want to kind of hear your thoughts on is Cade Cunningham. He's coming off of a 40-point game yesterday and probably his best game of the season. Yeah, I think he is the clear-cut number one pick. I've been saying that since he was, I want to say, a junior in high school. I think I, I would have taken him number one overall last year over Anthony Edwards. I don't think that's too unpopular of an opinion. He's just a complete player with no glaring weaknesses, in my opinion. I guess you can say like he doesn't have – the quickest first step, but I don't think he, that inhibits him very much. I think he can, he, he obviously works around it. He make he works to his strengths. He's not going to be somebody that blows by you every time, but he has got the skill to shift you and then blow by you. He doesn't just need to go straight line. Uh, he's obviously six, eight point guard. He can play out of the post a bit. Uh, he's got a nice touch inside. He can make every pass in the book. His numbers don't really show it, but he is a phenomenal facilitator um, if you watch his high school tape, it's just the way he can move the ball is unbelievable. And yeah, you can say he played at Montverde with the stack team, but those are going to be like, there's four NBA first round picks on that team. He's going to be playing with all NBA players. Like he's surrounding himself with the best. And at, at Oklahoma state, you're not really good to see how well he can make his teammates better because let's be honest, his teammates aren't anything as special as what they could be at. Imagine he goes to Gonzaga, like no hate on Jalen Suggs, but, He's made to like, he's a great player. He's a top five pick, but you'd be lying to yourself if you didn't say that being at Gonzaga doesn't elevate his play. If Cade Cunningham goes to a Duke or a Gonzaga and is surrounded by great players, he looks so much better. And to, to see what he's doing, to see what he's doing with very little help is very impressive. And his main criticism coming out of high school was the fact that he couldn't shoot. He comes in and he's, I think shooting over 40% or he was at some point this year from three, that's phenomenal. There's no holes, no glaring holes in his game. He's the number one pick in my mind. Yeah. W- were you referring to his numbers not showing in terms of like his assist numbers this year? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, They're that's lower than you, what you would expect. Yeah. Because like he, he, he can make any pass in the, in the book, like you said, but Oklahoma state doesn't really have shooters surrounding the perimeter. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what you're going to get. And, yeah, you talked about Jalen Suggs a little bit. 
And that's a good point just about how Gonzaga, I mean, it, if you're playing around Corey Kispert and you have Drew Timmy setting screens for you and all what all he can do off of a ball screen, I mean, it really opens up stuff for you as a ball handler. So you think Jalen Suggs is top five pick? Yes, I would select him either at four or five right now. Uh, I don't know if he's going to move into the top three, um, but I, I would definitely keep him uh, four or five. Mm-hmm. What do you think are hit? What do you, what would you say his strengths and weaknesses are? Uh, another, he's similar. He's similar to Caden that he doesn't really have very many glaring weaknesses. Uh, one thing that I've noticed about him, he does have a tendency to put his head down and just run through traffic and try and get a foul. Uh, but that can be coached away. Um, but in terms of strength, he's just smooth overall. He can play either guard position. He's got the size and length. He's, he's athletic. Uh, he's tough from his football background. He can shoot the ball. His form is compact. He can play the pick and roll. His pace is really elite. Uh, there's very, again, like like uh, Cunningham, there's very little holes in his game. And I think the reason he's not at the level, like he's not going to be in the top, in the number one pick conversation is just because Cade, Cade Cunningham is six six eight, And then you have the guys under him that are seven foot that are versatile and then six, eight that are just powerful and versatile. And then you got Jalen green, who's Jalen green, obviously. So uh, this, this class is loaded. Any other, any other draft class, you'd probably go number one. Yeah, definitely a strong draft class. So the last thing uh, college basketball wise that I want to touch on right now is Michigan state. They have their team that if you would have talked about them a week ago from yesterday, you would have said they had zero shot of the NCAA tournament. After that, they went at IU. They beat um, Illinois at home with Ayodesunmu, and then they beat Ohio State at home following that. So they play today against Maryland. And do you think the way Michigan State is playing right now that they belong in the NCAA tournament? Well, I will say this. Uh, I, I do want to make a quick disclaimer. I haven't watched much of Michigan State this year. I've looked at their box scores. I looked at their record. But um, – so I'm not the most knowledgeable on Michigan state by any means. So don't, don't, <laughs> don't crucify me if I'm completely wrong here, but I will say this. Tom Izzo has a way of getting his teams ready for March. Like nobody else, the toughness that he instills, like they looked, they looked great at the beginning of the year. And then they kind of go through that patch, but Tom Izzo, I've learned like whether they perform well in the tournament or not, he gets them ready for March to, to play tough. And you can say that about a lot of coaches, but the way Tom Izzo gets his team ready, he gets them to play team basketball. They play tough, they hustle. And that I think uh, makes them really good. And I think, what, do you know the record off the top of your head? 13 and nine, maybe. Okay. Maybe so yeah, I, but quality wins hold some weight. I think if they perform well in the big 10 tournament, even if they don't win, maybe that'll kind of get them in. Uh, I don't know really where they rank right now, but, with the way they're trending, if they continue to win, obviously, they, I feel like they should make the tournament. Yeah, I agree. Definitely the way that they're playing right now, they belong in the NCAA tournament. And something the committees kind of went away with, it, they used to, like, they have the team sheets with each team, and they just have a bunch of different data on the sheets or whatever. And they used to have, like, the last 10 games record, which they kind of got away with. I mean – to a certain degree, you got to have a human element when this goes into it, and you got to be like Michigan State, rough patch. But if, if you watch them right now, 
there is zero question whether they belong in the NCAA tournament, whether the committee will do that, who knows, but maybe, I mean, Michigan state can also control their own destiny so they could make it no question to uh, anyway. But the way that Aaron Henry is playing right now, I don't know if you've watched him much this year, but he kind of went through a patch where he was shooting the ball pretty poor. And he, he was kind of looked at as the leader for their team this year. And really in their, in their three game winning streak and a little bit before that too, he shot the ball well, but like his, just his leadership has been really showing, especially like on the defensive end, like he can, it, whoever they need him to guard, like he, he'll get a stop on him. Like at the end of the Ohio state game, he got switched onto Liddell and he got a stop on Liddell in the post with like two minutes left in the game in a crucial situation. So his just ability to step up for Michigan state has been huge, but getting past a little bit of the college stuff, you, like you said, you cover a lot of high school action as well. So I just mm-hmm. want to ask you a little bit about three individual players and I'll, we'll go one at a time here. So the first one I want to talk about is Chet Holmgren, Chet Holmgren, who has not committed anywhere. Where do you think he's going to commit to and wh- what do you like about his game? What do you don't like? Well, well, Chet obviously is one of the most unique prospects that we've ever seen. Seven foot can do everything. Um, if you watch him a year ago, He's frail in the post. I mean, he's still he's still weak and still frail, but he's frail in the post. He doesn't really like to go in there. He's he's hesitant to to make uh, make his teammates better. Uh, but if you watch his recent tape, I uh, watched one game a couple of weeks ago. There is no question that he is the number one prospect in his class. Maybe even high school. I know people like to say Amani Bates, but I think the way he's playing, he deserves to have that number one spot. Um, but seven foot can do everything can shoot can dribble he handles the ball better than like most people most people's knock on him is like oh it's another seven foot unicorn like thon maker oh they're gonna bust like whatever if you look at what he can do with the ball the way he gets his teammates involved it's so clear that he is leagues ahead of those other people that busted uh when they were in high school so i have i don't really have concerns of chet being a bust but obviously his weak frame is not is not beneficial Um, and, but people like to point to that too. And and I don't think people understand how easy it is to gain weight once you get into the college system, uh, where they're forcing meals down your throat, quality meals too. You're in the weight room, like you're there to play basketball. Um, especially if you're at a high major school, like, and if he goes the pro route, he's going to be focusing on basketball even more. But I think he is somebody that, um, will go the college route. I would assume, I think he has multiple crystal balls to Gonzaga. And honestly, I could definitely see that happening with the Jalen Suggs, him and Jalen Suggs played together in high school. So I think that connection, I, I, I know like there's no way Suggs is not like, Oh, come here. Like <laughs> Suggs is not t- telling him to not come here. So, um, and then he just seems like a Gonzaga player to me, honestly. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how many seven foot unicorns Gonzaga has had, but he just seems like, the type of guy that go to Gonzaga. I don't know why, but that's, that's the vibe I get. So I would guess he goes to Gonzaga. Okay. So another top five player who is undecided on his, on his college destination, Jaden Hardy, he's had a really good senior year. What do you think about him? Yeah. Well, Jaden Hardy, I think he elected to opt out of the rest of his senior year or something with Nevada basketball because of the coronavirus, which is uh, do what you got to do. But he is one of the best offensive players. I would say maybe the best offensive player in the class of 2021. He, the way he could score the ball from all three levels, he's an elite isolation player. He can shoot it from the perimeter. He can shoot off the dribble. He'll take his man one V one. He can finish through contact a year ago. 
he was not great at making decisions. He would force a lot of things. And, but it's clear he's getting better at that. He's still not great at that, but he's getting better at that. Um, he's, he's learning how to be a primary guard at times too, but his microwave ability is unbelievable. If he gets a few shots going, going in, like he's going to have unlimited confidence. He, he's a phenomenal player. I would say that he's probably leaning to the pro route is all that I've seen. Um, I know Kentucky was a favorite there for a while, but he is, I would, he seems like the type of player to go pro just because if he's opting out, he clearly cares about basketball. He's clearly caring about uh, the next level. And I, I wouldn't put it past him to go pro, especially with how well these guys are doing in the G League. Uh, you look at Jalen Green's success and Jonathan Kaminga's success. There's, there's really, the G League has become a legitimate option, in my opinion. And I think for, for Hardy, it might be the best place for him to go so where he can focus completely on basketball and continue to get better. And the last player I'll ask about is Patrick Baldwin. His dad's the coach in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's kind of a debate between them and Duke, I believe. So what do you, what do you think about him? Where do you think he's going to go? Well, Patrick Baldwin, he reminds me a lot of Jason Tatum. He's a smooth, he's a smooth combo forward. He can play on the perimeter. He's not, he's not going to wow you with athleticism similar to Tatum, but he's going to wow you with the skill, uh, the finesse, the way he can get a shot off. He he's a skillful player. Um, and I, I think he – I've seen many things that say he's going to go to Milwaukee. And I, I, I think people would be upset with that. But I, I don't I, – As a, if, you're, if you're a prospect, you do what you think is best. And his dad obviously probably has a big influence. And I think he has multiple crystal balls there. I wouldn't rule Duke out by any means, though, because Duke obviously is Duke. Uh, Milwaukee is who. So, exactly. <laughs> so, like, um, if – I would not rule <laughs> – I would not rule Duke out at all, but I would think, I think um, Milwaukee is probably in the lead, but he keeps it very quiet. He doesn't really tell people. He doesn't let many things get out. And I think that's the way it should be. I think crystal balls can sometimes ruin the excitement, Um, but he keeps it pretty quiet. So there's really no way of knowing until he commits in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you on the fact that I wish players would keep it a little bit more quiet. Sometimes it just, Mm -hmm. I mean, Obviously, they can do what they want, but it kind of it's nice to build the excitement up and also mm-hmm. just not necessarily. It's kind of if you don't know what to expect, it kind of makes it more exciting than when it actually oh, yeah. happens. But that's all the questions I have for you today. I really appreciate you coming on the show and giving your insights. If you guys don't follow my take hoops on Instagram, make sure to go follow him. He also has a podcast and a YouTube channel as well, so make sure to subscribe to him on those. But thank you very much for joining the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was great. I love, I love doing this. Uh, you're a knowledgeable guy, you, um, and I think, I think the if you continue to put out quality content, you continue to to work on your craft and just grind. Like I know it's cliche, but um, if you really put your head down and 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 put out quality content, people will notice, and uh, you'll see a lot of growth. I really appreciate that. Thank you again. Yep, appreciate sure. it. I would like to thank My Take Hoops again for joining the show. I really appreciate him taking his time to sit down and allow me to interview him, ask him a few questions, and yeah, it was a great time talking to him, but let's get right into the rest of the show today. So the first thing I want to talk about is Michigan State, obviously being one of the biggest headlines of this whole week. Me and My Take Hoops discussed him a little bit, so you already heard a little bit about Michigan State, but I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into the Spartans. So 
for those of you who don't know, Michigan State beat Illinois 85-70 or sorry, 81-72 on Tuesday. On Thursday they beat Ohio State 71 to 67. And then today, Sunday, I'm recording, they lost to Maryland 73-55 to on the road. And so Michigan State, uh, obviously with those two top five wins, put them back on the bubble. If you asked people, you know, um, what, eight days ago before the IU game, if Michigan State had a chance of making the NCAA tournament as an at-large team, you would have said, no way, they have no prayer at it. Since then, they went 3-1. and one with the loss coming to Maryland today, and they're back on the bubble. Joe Lenardi had them in the tournament before the Maryland loss, probably out on the outside looking in after the loss. But looking at Michigan State, what has turned it around for this team? Uh, I, in my opinion, it's pretty simple. Aaron Henry has been by far the main story for the Spartans. Aaron Henry has now scored in double figures for 10 straight games. What What's so valuable about him is he just does whatever you need him to do. Like, if you need him to score, okay, he'll go score. You need a driver, uh, you need a driver, you need a ball handler. Like, they're looking for point guard issues. They've tried Rocket, they've used him, they've used Hogard, they've used Rocket and Hogard in this winning streak. But then a lot of times it's also Henry bringing the ball up the floor. Like, they don't call him their point guard, but he is their point guard at a lot of times. You need a playmaker. You say, okay, Henry, go go uh, get somebody the ball. He can get he gets downhill very easily. He's great. He has a great crossover. He has a great crossover into a drive, into a spin move, which he can score off of or also kick out to the perimeter off of that. He is really good at that. But then defensively, whew, defensively, he brings great value. What really stood out to me on this whole winning streak was with about two minutes left against Ohio State in a very close game. He's put on EJ Liddell, Ohio State's big man, 6'8", built, big guy, extremely skilled. And he gets put down, and then the ball goes into Liddell uh, around the basket area, and it's Liddell's going back to his basket, so Henry's playing some post-defense here, and he gets the stop, and he was, he played great defense. He got into him hard. He, had, uh, he was chesting in hard, and he got the stop. And that just really stood out to me. Like, Aaron Henry, you need him to guard your point guard? Okay, Aaron Henry can go guard the point guard. He's quick enough, incredible length, he can do it. You need him to go guard uh, a bigger guy like EJ Liddell, go for it. He can guard one through four, probably not. Ohio State really doesn't have a five, so I won't say one through five, but Aaron Henry can guard one through four. And that is extremely impressive and extremely valuable, valuable for this Michigan State team. And during this winning streak, I mean, their energy was just so much higher, and they were really, really dominant in the paint this week on both ends like I I'm kind of throwing out the Maryland games in terms in terms of that because we'll talk a little bit more about the Maryland game and discuss about what Maryland did well in that game but talking about Michigan State in particular their two wins against Illinois and Ohio State they were great in the paint Kofi Coburn one of the best centers in the country one of the one of the five finalists for the top center in college basketball Michigan State did a great job and I discussed earlier on how they really struggled against uh guarding guys in the post because earlier this year Travion Williams just dominated them they didn't have an answer they didn't have a physical enough guy to do it like Kithier couldn't do it Malik Hall they were trying him he couldn't do it now that I mean they played Sissoko Sissoko was extremely valuable earlier this week in particular in the Illinois game but also they just have if you if it goes into the post Michigan State does a great job uh, their guards it you know watching it kind of giving fake uh fake digs and if the ball goes on the floor they attack and that's what they did to Kofi, and they made life on him extremely hard. 
So yeah, I mean, def- defensively, they just collapsed really, really well. They got out on the shooters, uh, and, and they just played with like urgency on the defensive end. You, you guys know, like, defense is so much about effort and focus and intensity, and their, their intensity level was high, extremely high. So defensively is really where it started and what got Michigan State back on the right track. This isn't a terrific offensive team. But they're getting better, and Josh Langford has been playing better basketball, in particular the Illinois game where he had 16 rebounds in that game, 13 points. Uh, Aaron Henry's been every night, and you know if they, they they really need consistent shooting on the from the perimeter. If Rocket Rocket Watts also played really good in the Illinois game, they need more consistency out of him. Like th- this team's probably going to remain on the bubble. And they're probably going to need to go 2-1 and one the rest of the way. And those three games are coming against IU and a home-and-home home with Michigan. Probably going to need to go 2-1, and one, see what happens in the Big Ten tournament. Maybe they can get one win. If they go 2-1 and one, and then one Big Ten tournament win, they're in. I, I don't see how you could leave them out if they did that. But they need more consistent play from guys outside of Aaron Henry. Like it, You just don't know where it's going to come from. Rocket Watts has the ability to be a scorer. Be a scorer, Rocket. He has that ability. He's just not every night. They need guys every night. Defensively, defensively, they're in the right spot, and they're where they need. They're they are where they need to be on that end. Offensively, it's it uh, it comes and goes, but they're getting better. And I think Michigan State is playing like a an NCAA tournament team right now, despite the loss today to Maryland. Uh, yeah, I think Michigan State is playing like a tournament team. Do I think they'll make the tournament? That's hard to say with their remaining schedule. Two home games to or two games to Michigan, a home and home. Hard to say if they'll split that series. It's just really hard to see Michigan losing right now. But yeah, it's it's that rivalry, and everybody knows what can happen in a rivalry, especially when you're playing the same team two times in four days. That I believe they are. So anything can happen. Michigan State has a shot to split that, and they likely are going to need to do that. Today, though, in the Maryland game, I said I'd get to that a little bit. I, I thought what Maryland did so good at was was slowing the pace. Michigan State was getting out in transition. They're getting rebounds, pushing the ball hard up the floor. What Maryland did today is they really didn't send guys off the offensive boards. They just said, hey, get back, make Michigan State play in the half court, make them play against our set defense, and that's what they did. And Maryland got a quick 11-0 lead early, and so because of that, they were able to play at their slow pace. They were able to slow it down. And they ne- they never lost the lead, so they they never really had to change their play style. So their game plan worked perfectly, and they executed it perfectly today. The next thing I want to talk about came on Saturday night, eight o'clock on ESPN. Kansas and Baylor. Kansas gave Baylor their first loss of the season. It came inside Fog Allen Fieldhouse by a score of seventy-one to fifty-eight. So. To give you guys a little insight, if you don't know what went on for Baylor, they were on pause for a while. I can't remember the exact amount of days, but I, it was about two weeks. They can, they come back from pause earlier this week. They're down 17 in a game against Iowa State. They end up coming back and winning that game close. So, obviously, that's not a good result. Um, but they're coming off pause. Their second game we saw on Saturday, they went to Fog Allen Fieldhouse and played Kansas. And it was another game where Baylor just did not look themselves. If you're looking at Baylor, they're really not shooting at that same level that they were before. They're not flowing the way they were. They're not getting the shots the way they were before. You know, the guards look, you know, maybe they're they're rushing shots a little bit. They're not necessarily quite on balance. 
Uh, you know, it just stuff is just not quite the same for Baylor right now. But I'm here to tell you, do not panic. Uh, Scott Drew said so that he he asked he kind of asked around and he was asking coaches around like, hey, how many how many time how many games did it take you guys to get back to normal? And the consensus that he heard was about three games. And you guys might say, well, Michigan came back, they beat Wisconsin their first game back. Gonzaga comes back, they beat Iowa in their first game back. See, there's a big difference in coming back from pause. Coming back from pause because you have sick guys and coming back from pause because you had asymptomatic guys who tested positive but really was weren't feeling any symptoms. Baylor had some sick guys. They had guys who actually were feeling symptoms, and that makes a big difference because this virus just affects everybody differently. So it's kind of hard to judge, like, to say, you know, this team came back and played really well after pause, whereas this team didn't. Because, like, there's Clemson, look at Clemson, for instance. That's a really good example. They were playing great basketball, hit pause, come back, terrible. Do not look near the same level that they were. There's more examples. That's just the one that popped on my mind to, uh, to begin with. But you do have to give Kansas credit for what they did in this game. Kansas did a great job at getting the ball out of the guards' hands on side ball screens. It's kind of what they did earlier in the first matchup, where if Baylor is running a side ball screen, they just ice it, uh, which basically means like they're just forced into the sideline. You know, the guy guarding the ball screen is forcing the sideline. The guy guarding the ball is forced the sideline. It basically says, "Get the ball out of your hands," and that that's what they did, which is smart because Baylor relies on their guards. They want the ball in their guards' hands. They want them to be able to get downhill. Jared Butler, their best player, Kansas was just suffocating him. They really didn't give him uh, like any room to breathe all night. He really struggled. But I think Kansas's game plan was brilliant, and I think Bill Self had a brilliant game plan because what's what's Baylor's weakness? They don't have a scoring big. Michigan has Hunter Dickinson. Gonzaga has Drew Timmy. Who's Baylor's big guy that can go score? Uh. Flo Thamba, no, he's he's not really a, he's not a scoring big guy, and neither is Jonathan Chawachachua, who, by the way, everyday John, Jonathan Chawachachua, uh, he didn't play in the game against Iowa State, and he only played 11 minutes in the game on Saturday against Kansas. Yeah, he just really he, he wasn't feeling the best, and he's still kind of coming back. So that hurts Baylor a lot. Like not necessarily on the offensive end. It's, it doesn't really make a difference on their offensive excuses, although he is a good screener, but like offensively, he doesn't really impact the game that much. But this guy is one of the best in the whole game at defending pick and rolls, calling out the coverage. And really, he's, he's just a great communicator and a great voice to have on the floor. Because from what everyone says, he's just one of the most vocal guys that, you know, people have really ever seen. He's always talking, he's always up and, you know, motivating others. So that is a missing piece to have on the floor. He'll he definitely helps Baylor, and he 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 makes winning plays for them. So they're missing his minutes right now. I mean, I haven't really heard a lot of people say that they're panicking about Baylor, but I mean, in case you are, I'm here to tell you you do not need to panic about Baylor. It's way too early to to say any narratives about them. Now, what you can do is give Kansas credit in this game, and you got to you got to give the winning team credit in this game. Because like I said, they did a great job defensive scheming-wise. And they also, on offensively, they got mismatches. You know, they, they they were looking to cause mismatches, and they attacked those mismatches. And they really attacked, attacked just the David McCormick-Flo-Thamba matchup just to begin with. They gave him the basketball a lot and a lot early, and it worked. McCormick went to work, and he was efficient inside. Uh, he's really just playing his best basketball of his whole career at Kansas, to be honest with you. Giving them a legit 
threat down low. Um, for Kansas, I would say just like the consistency from the backcourt is really what necessarily affects them night to night. You des- you don't necessarily get the same production on a consistent basis from Abaji, from Christian Brown, from Marcus Garrett. Um, it, what I have liked, and this isn't really necessarily about their backcourt, but Jalen Wilson has just become an animal on the boards. He's really been committed to crashing the offensive glass and staying in there for defensive rebounds as well. Because he was kind of a guy who he had a really hot start to the year, and you were like, okay, maybe this is Kansas's best player. Because that's what it looked like early. But then he really started to struggle. Defenses probably started adjusting to him. You know, he wasn't able to get necessarily the, the screen or the the pick and pop looks that he was getting early in the year because people are adjusting to him. They're like, okay, this guy can make shots, so we better get out on him. So people adjusted to him uh, in that aspect. But the last eight games, he's averaging 11.6 rebounds a game, which is absolutely amazing. He's not necessarily scoring at the same rate he was, but he's still scoring, but he's finding other ways to impact the game, and that's what I really love about Jalen Wilson. He's he's uh, he's adjusting to what defenses are throwing at him, and he's finding a way uh, to, tell, to tell Bill Self why he should be on the floor because this is a really quality basketball player, and what he's doing is helping them a lot right now. The Big 12, though, the Big 12 as a whole is just an absolute animal. You know who's in seventh place of this conference? Texas Tech. Texas Tech going into Saturday before they beat Texas was six and seven. They were under five hundred in this conference, and Texas Tech's looked at as like a five or six seed right now. I mean, this is a really good basketball team that was under five hundred in its own league. So, obviously, they're five hundred now with the win against Texas, but that's just crazy to think about. The Big Twelve's an absolute animal. And for Bill Self to get this Kansas team to be 12-6 and six in this league is honestly pretty amazing. Because um, we remember what people were talking about earlier this year. I mean, when Kansas was starting to struggle and not necessarily being the, like they weren't a top-5 team or top-10 team that people were necessarily expecting them to be as. So people are kind of uh, writing the narrative that this Kansas, team's, this Kansas team is just not as talented as what people thought they may be. Or maybe not necessarily what they thought they may be, but they're just not as talented as a normal Bill Self team. Which is true. They don't necessarily have the NBA talent that you're used to seeing. They don't have the five-star prospects that you're used to seeing. Since Bryce Thompson's been back, he's played quality minutes, but he's not like that star, uh, five-star freshman that they've had in the past. So for Bill Self to have this Kansas team at 12-6 and six in this league, in this league in this year is honestly pretty amazing. And he's it's a pretty amazing coaching job, what he's done in Lawrence this year. Some more Big 12 action on Saturday. Oklahoma State went on the road and beat Oklahoma 94-90 in the in-state rivalry game. The story of this game, Cade Cunningham. The, the star freshman had 40 points, 11 rebounds, 1 assist, 3 steals, 2 blocks. He was huge for the Cowboys and Obviously, the story from this game and the main reason why Oklahoma State was able to come away with a road win over a top 10 team. And don't forget, Oklahoma State went on the road and did this without arguably their second best player in Isaac Likely. So that's pretty amazing. There's a lot to like about this Oklahoma State team. And in my opinion, their best attribute is their fight. This team fights for 40 minutes every single night. They make the hustle plays. They crash the boards. They guard hard. Guard hard on ball, guard hard off ball, super attentive to everything 
attention to details high. They turn you over, they attack the rim offensively, and they're really good at getting to the line because of how hard they attack the rim and how often they attack the rim. They don't necessarily settle for jump shots, which is something I really like about this team. I mean, it's it's not like when you're talking about this team, it's not necessarily a team that you're in rave about because of their offensive ability. They're not great offensively. They're not bad offensively. They're just, you know, they're fine. They're fine offensively. But what you do have to like about this offense is not every team can say this, but Oklahoma State has a closer. Like, Cade Cunningham, that's Mariano Rivera right there. That's what he is for them. He, he, uh, he had the game-winning three against Wichita State. He had a huge buck against Arkansas and then against Oklahoma on Saturday. Um, he, he was just he, phenomenal closer down the stretch of the game, gave them huge buckets when they needed points, and that's something that a lot of teams can't say, that they have a reliable guy that can put the ball in his hands at the end of the game and trust him. But Oklahoma State and Mike Boynton does in freshman Kate Cunningham. If you remember going into this year, a lot of people thought they wouldn't be eligible for the NCAA tournament. Well, now that case is pushed back and they're a clear lot for the tournament, and they're going to be ranked in the AP Top 25 again next week. I'm not sure where they were in terms of receiving votes this past week, but this Oklahoma State team is a Top 20 team in the country. No questions asked, in my opinion. Cade Cunningham is one of the best players in the country. Their defense is really, really tough. They throw in a lot of zone on you, and the zone is really difficult to play. You've seen a lot of teams struggle against it. It's not like a Syracuse zone. It's it's like a it's a zone that turns you over and makes you uncomfortable, gets in the passing lanes, gets deflections. It's a good zone, and it's not like that's the only thing they play. They switch it up as well. So Mike Boynton just doesn't stick with that for the full 40 minutes. Going into this week, Oklahoma State's final five games were Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Oklahoma again, which we'll see on Monday night, and Baylor and West Virginia. Oklahoma State's found a way to win the first two against Texas Tech and Oklahoma, so they have two down, three to go, and they're just brutal stretch to end the year, but it's pretty amazing that Oklahoma State has found a way to already get two wins of these five games, and they still have three more to play, so really good week for the Cowboys, for Cade Cunningham, and for Mike Boynton. So I'm going to cover some more notable results and headlines here rather quickly because uh, there was a lot to cover in this in this week in college basketball. So the first thing, I would assume Mu Illinois star, he broke his nose in the, in the loss against Michigan State and play where Mati Sissoko kind of went up, ended up going a flagrant two on him. They said uh, he's, he had intent, I guess, and swung hard down on Mu, ended up breaking his nose in that game. And so he could possibly be out until the Big Ten tournament is what they're saying following that game. Illinois beat Nebraska, and they beat Wisconsin on the road without him. So it's super encouraging that Illinois was able to find a way to win two Big Ten games without their best player. The next game I want to talk about, Arkansas beat Alabama 81-66 in what was the battle of arguably the best two SEC teams. And you can make a really, really strong case that Arkansas is the best team in the SEC. And not just that they're playing, you know, that they're hot right now, that just simply this is the best team in the SEC. I think when you're looking at Alabama, it's a team that really lives and dies by the three like more than anybody else in the country, more than anybody else. I mean, they take a high number of threes, and a lot of times, uh, you know, they get really hot because, well, it's not necessarily that they're just settling for threes. I mean, they're a drive and kick team, so you got to give them credit there. It's not like it's just, you know, jacking up threes. They do, they do attack the rim, 
and it just turns out like that's just what Nate Oates wants. I mean, he wants to drive, and he wants to kick out to shooters because they have a lot of them on the perimeter, and we've seen them. They hit 23 in a game. They've hit 18 in a game, so they, they can make them at a high rate out there, and it makes them extremely dangerous, but I really like Arkansas's balance. I like that they have freshman talent in Moses Moody, but then some experience with Justin Smith, with uh, with Jalen Tate, you know, some other guys as well. I like that they're, I mean, they've turned into a really, really good defensive team. They began as a really good offensive team, but they've turned into a good defensive team as well. So I think this is a complete basketball team. Um, uh, they've only have lost two games with Justin Smith in the lineup. So it's a team to watch. I mean, this is a, this is a dark horse Final Four team in my opinion and they're playing great basketball right now. The next result I want to talk about, NC State went on the road and beat Virginia 68-61. to NC State lost their best player, Devin Daniels, for the year, and this game just kind of spoke to how inconsistent Virginia is, you, There's and the ACC for that matter. The ACC has no clear best team. They don't have a dominant team. Uh, anybody can beat anybody on any given night, to be honest with you. That's just the kind of feel you get in the ACC this year. Uh, Virginia gets pretty consistent production out of Hauser and Huff, but the backcourt is just really inconsistent, and that's what it comes down to for them is how well is their backcourt going to play? Are they going to be able to score the ball? Uh, are they going to be able to get Hauser and Huff the ball, you know, or give them some support as well? And, yeah, it's just inconsistent for them. But you got to give credit to NC State. NC State is hot right now. They've won four straight games now with the win against Pitt on Sunday. And you got to give them credit for after losing their best player for responding this way. Uh, they have a young backcourt. They play three freshmen in the backcourt with Cam Hayes, um, Darion Sebron, and Shaquille Moore, and those guys are playing really good basketball. Cam Hayes has really stepped up at the point guard position, and NC State's honestly a pretty fun team to watch right now with the young talent that they have and also the frontcourt ability in Manny Bates and DJ Funderburk. The next result I want to discuss is Michigan beating Iowa 79-57. to uh, the, it, this just really spoke to how good Michigan is, which everybody already knows and everybody already feels that way, but they proved it again on Thursday night. It was unfortunate for Iowa as they lost Jack Nungy, their uh, backup big man, for the year in this game. And they also, Connor McCaffrey got hurt in that game, but ended up playing on Sunday after that. So that's good news for, for the Hawkeyes. But Michigan and uh, I guess the story from this game would just be how well Hunter Dickinson defended Luka Garza. Luka Garza scored 16 points on 19 shots in this game. A year ago when he played Michigan, he scored 44 and 33 points in the two games. Michigan adds Hunter Dickinson, and Garza really struggles. It just speaks to how good Hunter Dickinson is defensively, and Michigan te- this Michigan team just really has no weakness. Next result. Carolina played a non-conference game against Marquette and lost earlier in the week, but then on Saturday they came back and beat Florida State 78-70. to And it's pretty clear what happens for Carolina. If they make shots and take care of the ball, really, really good basketball team. But when they don't, like they did against Marquette, like they did in the first half against Florida State, they, uh, they get it handed to them. They took a big second half from Carolina, and it's really simple. They took care of the ball, and they changed that and ended up turning Florida State over. And it just really comes down to the turnover battle for them. When they win the turnover battle, when they do well in that area, they tend to win games. The next result, Xavier beat Creighton 77-69 to on Saturday. Uh, the biggest takeaway from this game is this was just, this was a massive game for Xavier going into this game. And it was a game where, I mean, their, Xavier's resume is one of the harder ones to judge in this country because they've missed a lot of games due to COVID. 
They have the Oklahoma win in the non-conference, but they don't have a lot outside of that. They have some other decent mid-major wins, but not a lot outside the Oklahoma win. So they have a rather weak non-conference SOS, and with the Big East, there just hasn't been a ton of opportunities. So they really, really needed this Creighton game, and they got it. And it, you just felt that sense of urgency of the Xavier team. I think the the duo of Paul Scruggs and Zach Fremantle is, is very underrated in the country. Xavier has the potential to go and win the Big East tournament. And this just goes to show you about Creighton, too. This is one of the more inconsistent teams in the country, as I as I mentioned in, uh, might have been the last podcast or the one before that, but you don't know what to expect night to night with this team. And in the Big East, you just really don't know what to expect at all night to night in the Big East. The next result, Texas Tech. Texas Tech beat Texas 68-59 to on Saturday. I talked about how this got Texas Tech to 7-7 and in the league with this win. Crazy to think that they, to think that they were under 500. But in recent games and in their three-game losing streak, they were really struggling defensively. Texas Tech has prided themselves on uh, defense under Chris Beard, you know, turning people over, running people off the three-point line, making every basket difficult, collapsing hard when the ball goes inside. And they kind of got away from that in their three-game losing streak on Saturday. Uh, the energy was in the building, to say the least. It was in Lubbock, and uh, those people were loud in there. They wanted that win, and it definitely gave Texas Tech energy. They they really made Texas uncomfortable. They really played really well defensively against a really good Texas backcourt. So it was impressive to see how well they played defensively in that game, getting back to their roots a little bit. And when Mac McClung goes, Texas Tech goes, and Mac McClung went on Saturday. So a uh, big win for the Red Raiders. The next result came on Sunday where Butler beat Villanova 73-61 inside Hinkle Fieldhouse. Uh, They say Hilton Magic for Iowa State, but honestly, it's Hinkle Magic for Butler because they get some crazy wins in that place, even when they're not very good like they they, uh, really aren't this year. I believe they're 8-13 going into the game, 9-13 maybe after it. So this is not a good Butler team. It's not one of the good Butler teams that we've seen in recent years. But for Villanova, I mean... There, there was really a lot that went wrong in this game. You got to give credit to Butler for making big shots at big moments, but this Villanova team is just not on the same offensive level that we've seen the, you know, the championship Villanova teams or even some other really good Villanova teams that didn't win championships. They're, they're not getting buckets as easier, as easy as we used to seeing them get. They uh, have been inconsistent from shooting it from the perimeter. Um, Gillespie has had surprisingly you would think he's been one of the more steady players in the country he's had some off games you know here and there and you really wouldn't expect that from uh from Gillespie but it's happened so uh, I, I really like Jeremiah Robinson Earl and his his defensive ability to guard one through five on the floor one of the more underrated de- I want to say underrated defenders because people talk about him as a great defender but he's just he's just one of the best defenders one of the more versatile defenders in the country and he, he really he really kept him in the game today with his energy at seven offensive rebounds. And without him, Villanova would have lost by twenty. And honestly, Butler, it was even it was only really even that close because Butler missed so many free throws. So twelve point game is honestly closer than really what it should have been. So yeah, there's 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 uh it's it's maybe time to worry about Villanova. Uh they're they just aren't playing the basketball that we all expected them to. Defensively today, I mean, they kind of, they were late on closeouts, late on switches, and then sometimes when they would close out and they were there, they just wouldn't have their hands up and it hurt them. Let Butler be able to rise up and shoot, and they were able to knock down shots today. So 
yeah, Villanova has some work to do. Um, they're just not at that same offensive level that we're accustomed to seeing. And the last result I'm going to talk about is another game Sunday, which came between Iowa and Ohio State, where Iowa went into Columbus and beat Ohio State 73-57, to giving Ohio State a three-game losing streak now. It's safe to say what won this game for Iowa. Uh, their defensive intensity, and when these teams, they played for the second time today uh, of the season in the first meeting, Ohio State at 14 threes, and they were getting great looks, and they were knocking them down. Today, Iowa closed out on shooters hard, and it wasn't even like, like they just weren't giving them clean looks from the outside. They were, they wanted Ohio State to try to beat them somewhere else than the three-point line, and Ohio State wasn't able to do it. Iowa played a great defensive game, and it's really encouraging for Iowa to say that they played they played this good defensively today because everyone talks about you know how this team just is really poor defensively and that they live and die by the three. Well, let's talk about what Iowa can do really well because everyone seems to just talk about how Iowa just can't defend and they're they're you know they live and die by the three ball, which just really isn't true in my opinion. This Iowa team offensively is way, way more than just a three-point shooting team, obviously with Luka Garza inside, but I mean, Wieskamp's done a great job at slashing to the rim. Um, I think Joe, Joe Toussaint and Keegan Murray are phenomenal off the bench and really key guys. The healthier C.J. Frederick gets, the better Iowa's going to get. And so I think Iowa's more than just that. And I, if they can continue this defensive intensity, uh, this Iowa team goes to the next level. To close the podcast today, I'm going to answer some Instagram follower questions that some of my followers on Instagram left me. So the first question today comes from Grant underscore, underscore Fewerborn, who asked, does Baylor deserve to win the Big 12, even though they didn't play all of their games? So my response to this is absolutely. Baylor is not able to control um, if COVID hits their program or not. Yeah, it may be unfortunate for other teams, and you might look at it and say it's unfair, but Baylor has lost one Big 12 game. They've beaten Texas. They've beaten Texas Tech. They've beaten Oklahoma. They've beaten Kansas. Now, they haven't played West Virginia yet, so we'll get that game here. But in my opinion, yes, absolutely. Baylor deserves to win the Big 12, even though they haven't played as many games as some other teams. Underscore Caleb underscore Lucas asked, what is your top five this week after Ohio State losing? So my top five this week, uh, I, I thought about this a little bit, and I came up with I, I would have Gonzaga 1, Michigan 2, Baylor 3, Illinois 4, and West Virginia 5. The 5 spot was the hardest one for me to decide on. I decided West Virginia should be number 5. I really like their basketball team. Just underscore Jules 0912 asked, What's a better conference between the Big 10 and the Big 12? This is really, really hard for me because obviously, like, you're just you're splitting hairs. I don't think if anyone can tell you that they have an absolute surefire answer on who's the better conference, I think they're lying to you because it is so close. You can make an argument for either side. The argument for the Big Twelve is just they have seven NCAA tournament teams. They're gonna have they could easily have seven AP ranked top twenty five teams next week. But then on the other hand, the Big Ten, you know, they have. Uh, so many teams at the top and they'll have nine, 10 teams making the NCAA tournament. Obviously the big 12 only has 10 teams. The big 10 has 14 teams. So it's easier for the big 10 to, to get a few more teams, but I don't have necessarily a, a good answer for you on this one. I think they're they're Just look at it this way. These are two 
the, they're the two best conferences by a mile, and it's two of like these are two of the best conferences that uh, you that you will really see. Like the Big Twelve is probably not ever going to get a whole lot better than this, if better than this at all. In the Big Ten, it's going to be hard for them to get a whole lot better than this, also. So we're seeing historic conference play this year and some some really really good basketball teams and just loaded leagues. My next question comes from underscore CBB underscore analysis underscore who asked, does Michigan have a real case for number one? So for all you people out there who are like Gonzaga plays a middle school basketball team schedule (laughs) for the people who just harp and hate on Gonzaga's schedule, sure, they play in the WCC. It's not a good league. It's nowhere near the Big Ten. No, it's just not. But... I don't think Michigan has a real case for number one, and I know for a fact the committee will not have Michigan number one right now. Gonzaga is number one, and Gonzaga will not move if they don't lose. You can make a case that Michigan's resume is better, which is true. They do have one loss, but playing the schedule, they do. I mean, like Gonzaga can't troll, can't control the WCC. They, they really can't. Like they can control their non-conference, and look what they did with it. They scheduled. Uh, they scheduled West Virginia, they scheduled Kansas, they scheduled Virginia, they scheduled Iowa, and they actually they scheduled Baylor, but it got canceled. What what they can't control, they schedule some people. They really, really schedule some people, and they can't control the WCC, but what they can control, they play really good teams, and I think you have to give credit for Mark Few and for Gonzaga for, for being willing to do that, to be honest with you. So, uh, yes, I think... Gonzaga should be one. I you can make a case for Michigan to be number one because of the schedule they've played and how great they've looked recently. But uh, I I just don't see the committee changing that if Gonzaga doesn't lose. So I think it's really a conversation that's honestly a waste to be had just because I don't think the committee will change it. So it doesn't really matter to be honest with you. My next question comes from Dominic V two who asked. Who are some teams that are a first-round exit in the tournament? So, Dominic, I'm not necessarily exactly sure you meant by this, but I'm going to answer this question as in maybe some teams that shouldn't lose in the first round, but we're going to see take an exit in the first round. So I I decided, I picked out three teams. I, I was looking through them, and these are three teams that I feel pretty confident that are definitely capable and susceptible of an upset. So... I think Alabama, for one, is susceptible to losing to, you know, it depends what seed they get, because if they get a two seed, I was like, I'm not picking a 15 seed to beat Alabama, but maybe they fall to the four line. I could see a 13 seed beating Alabama, and even if they're a three seed, I probably won't pick a 14 seed to beat Alabama, but I'm just saying they're susceptible to, you need to watch out for it, just because Alabama really lives and dies by the three ball, and I mentioned that a little bit earlier in the podcast, but yeah, I would say Alabama's one team, a second team is Creighton. Creighton's been all over the place. We've seen wildly different results night to night from Creighton. Creighton's another team that when they don't shoot the ball from three very well, they struggle. Um, they're not really that great defensively. They can be, but they're just in, Creighton's just an inconsistent basketball team on both ends of the floor, and you don't know what to expect from them, so they are susceptible to an upset, in my opinion. And the third team is Tennessee. Uh, that's really no mystery. Tennessee just sucks at scoring the basketball. They are can be so abysmal offensively this is a team I was so high on and it really frustrates me because I really really liked this Tennessee team but they just struggle to score so 
that's a team who I think can lose in the first round of the tournament as well. My next question comes from Conrad Brenniger, who asked, how much will Iowa struggle without Jack Nungy in the lineup, or not necessarily in the lineup, but with him out for the year? So, obviously it hurts their depth. Um, They don't necessarily have a big guy to bring in for guards anymore. But sometimes, to be honest with you, Fran McCaffrey puts some weird lineups out, and he'll maybe have guards out of the game for a little longer than he needs to be, or he'll just he'll use Nunji at weird times. He uses he, he's just had weird lineups at times this year. So I think it hurts their depth, and Nunji obviously has been valuable at times this season. But I don't think it's necessarily as big of a deal as maybe some people think it is. And the last question. I'm going to answer comes from Carson.hoog, who asked, who should we keep an eye on come tournament time? Some sleepers. So I thought of four teams here who are some maybe some sleepers in the tournament or some teams that can make a deeper run than people are necessarily expecting. First team is Arkansas. I think with Arkansas, they can they have Final Four potential. The next team is Oregon. Oregon's a team that has been injury-plagued for a lot of this year. They're finally healthy. I think Chris Duarte is a top-five guard in the country. I think Oregon... You know, they might go into the tournament as a 8 or 9 seed. Uh, I think Oregon has potential to be a Sweet 16, uh, Dark Horse Elite 8 team if they get playing at the right time. That again, if they're an 8, 9 seed, it's not necessarily the year where you want to be an 8, 9 seed because three there's three 1 seeds who look very, very good. If you can get lucky enough to be in that fourth 1 seed region, that's what you actually hope for. But honestly, this year, you'd rather be a 10 or 11 seed than an 8 or 9 seed, so... We'll see if Oregon's an 8 or 9 seed and they have to go against Gonzaga or Michigan or Baylor. Probably wouldn't pick them there. Uh, the next team, I think Purdue is a team who's capable of making a run in the tournament. Uh, they they had lost Stefanovich for a little bit, and he's finally back, and he's finally playing good basketball again, which is really key for them. If he's not making shots, Purdue's not going to go. When Stefanovich makes shots, Purdue is really good. It really opens up this. It opens up the floor a lot more. They want to give Travion Williams all the room in the world to operate, and if they're not making shots from the perimeter, that's just not going to happen. But that guy, he's a really skilled big man, really like his game, and it's a really good defensive team. It's a really good rebounding team, both on the offensive and defensive end. So I think Michigan, or excuse me, Purdue could be a really tough out in the NCAA tournament. In the last team, a little mid-major for you guys, I think VCU is really capable. Bones Highland, NBA prospect. It always helps to have like an NBA guy on your team is a mid-major. We see a lot of those mid-majors teams, mid-major teams that advance have an NBA prospect on their team. I like that VCU has that in Bones Highland. They just beat St. Louis without him, which is super encouraging. That uh, they, they has a good sporting cast around him, so I think VCU is possibility of a second weekend basketball team. That'll be the last question I'm answering today. I really appreciate you guys listening to this week's show, and again, uh, thank you, Mike Take Hoops, for joining the show this week. It was a fun episode with you guys, and it's time to turn your guys' TVs on every night because in an hour and 35 minutes, it will be officially March 1st. It's March again, baby. It's tournament time. Tournaments are coming, conference tournaments, and March Madness. This is what it's all about. So I hope you guys have a good week, and I'll see you.